As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talked with Brant Cooper, author of The Lean Entrepreneur. You'll learn all about some of the common misconceptions around the lean startup, And you also learn how you should be using early customer interviews to discover the emotional connection that people can have with your product. Enjoy. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Brant Cooper, the author of The Lean Entrepreneur. Brant, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you got started um, writing The Lean Entrepreneur and what drove you to um, start teaching people how to do this properly. Uh, well, I guess the quick answer is from doing it wrong in the past. So, uh, you know, I worked in a variety of startups in the 90s and early 2000s. And, and some of them were, you know, ended up being successful. But even in those, you know, I think I made it a lot of mistakes. And, uh, and then, of course, there were those that, that flamed out. Um, and so, really, uh, I started working on this marketing service where we were trying to bring the discipline and learning processes that the engineering side sort of organically used. And we were trying to bring that to the business side of the house. Uh, and so I was blogging about that, I think in 2008 or 2009, and somebody turned me on to Steve Blank, who had written the four steps of the epiphany that outlined, you know, really the whole, the whole deal, the, uh, uh, the, the his customer development, uh, framework was really, that uh, for the whole company and uh, for several phases of the company. In other words, you know, how do you learn before you execute, execute rather than believing that you just uh, should be going out and executing on uh, the ideas that you're holding, holding in your head. So, uh, so I got turned into on to Steve Blank. And then of course, uh, uh, Eric Reese was really just getting going uh, at that same time and, and combining some of these agile uh product development methodologies with Steve Blank's customer development. Uh, so uh, my co-author, Patrick Vlaskovitz, and I wrote the cheat sheet, uh, which was really sort of a cheat sheet to both uh, the lean startup and customer development principles and talked about Dave McClure's pirate metrics and product market fit and that sort of thing. And, you know, a lot of serendipity involved, but, we, you know, Patrick and I treated that like a startup and had a SaaS style landing page and we ate our own dog food and did custom development and all of these things. And, and the book did, you know, really quite well. Uh, and so after that, Eric Reese wrote his book, which to me was sort of the bringing lean startup to the mainstream and to large organizations and really any endeavors that faced extreme uncertainty. Uh, and his book was kind of the why. And so Patrick and I decided to write the how-to. So the Lean Entrepreneur, you know, it's not a page turner by any stretch. It's pretty dense, um, but it really dives into the topic deeply about how you go through the process uh, of discovering the value that you're creating and for whom you're going to create it and, and how you scale that. So what were some of the, I guess, mistakes that you were seeing over and over again uh, that you were trying to, uh, I guess, change the process behind? Yeah, well, so, it, you know, back in the day, you know, it was really bad in the 90s, right? I mean, you, you, you didn't need any revenue and you could, you know, go public. But uh, the, that's a slight exaggeration. But basically, <laughs> you, you had ideas funded then and people were so, you know, blown away about the change that the Internet was going to make in the world. Um, nobody, very few people realized that it might take more than a few years to do that. Uh, but anyway, you got an idea funded and so... It, you know, out of this entrepreneurship, we build up this myth that the way visionaries uh, happen, the way the amazing entrepreneurs that have been in the world come to be is, is that they have this, you know, they foresee the future and, and uh, they're able to have this, you know, magic ability to, pr to predict the, the, uh, what products are going to work in this future. And, you know, they're tinkering away in the garage. Sometimes for some reason it's always in a garage and, and, you know, 
boom, out comes the product and uh, market beats the path of the door and there's this overnight success. And so this is sort of the myth of, of how entrepreneurship happens. And I, there's a lot of people that actually to this day continue to believe it. And so they feel like they should be, you know, as long as they pitch their idea well, somebody should write them a check. And uh, that really happened during the 90s and the 2000s. People did get funded based on ideas. And, and once you get the funding based on your idea, you've actually you know, sort of written a contract there, your funding contract that says, here are the milestones that we're going to hit, and here's our go-to-market strategy, and here's how we're going to do this, and here's how we're going to do that. And it's fiction. It, it doesn't last a day in the real world. And, and so uh, what happened uh, quite often is that uh, when the marketing people failed to execute, they were fired. And when the salespeople failed to ex- execute, they were fired. And when the CEO uh, couldn't blame it on the VP of sales and the VP of marketing anymore, the CEO was fired. And you would go through the cycle until eventually the startup runs out of money and it dies. And so that's the problem that we're trying to solve is it's not just can you build the product, right? Today, day and age, there's very little technical risk out there. You can build the product. The question is, should you build the product? Does anybody care? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you have a great quote. Uh, we recently talked to Todd Garland about buy-sell ads who kind of took on the ad industry. And it's the arrogance of certainty leads to doing things the way they've always been done. I was wondering if you could speak to a little bit about entering a market where there's already established players. And are there any signs of when you should and when you shouldn't enter there? Huh, good question. Um, I, I think that uh, what what should drive your entry into it is that you have some amazing differentiator, um, and so you've maybe uh, maybe you can peel off an undisturbed, underserved market segment. So rather than thinking about market segments in sort of this old school way, think about a market segment as being people who share the same pain or passion and speak the same language. And by speak the same language, I mean that people, those people within that market segment will actually refer to each other for a solution. And so if you're looking at a, if you're looking at an existing market, uh, then what you want to do is, is there an underserved market segment? A, a pattern that exists inside of that market where, well, there's a group of people and it's a sizable group seemingly and they have money and they have budget, but they're not getting the product that they need based upon whatever whatever endeavor they face. Or the product is way too expensive for them and we can disrupt this market by going freemium or by dramatically uh, uh, lowering the costs you know, based on materials or something like that. So I, I think that the that's the best way to look at existing market. And I would not enter it unless you have, you know, some sort of radical transformation that you can do for, for, a, uh, you know, a well-defined market segment that exists there. What yeah. are some, uh, some examples of companies that have done that, that you've seen? Well, I actually like the, I like the Salesforce, uh, automation, um, example because it, it sort of cla- follows a classic, uh, innovators dilemma uh, pattern um, where uh, large companies go in and they ha- or not large companies but new companies come in and they disrupt a large company because they've got uh, they've got you know crazy new technology that makes things work better and so uh, you know Salesforce and customer relationship management um, back in the 90s was dominated by these huge uh, players that you know you had to run these things on 
you know, very large workstation servers and, and they were heavy clients that people had to use. Uh, and they were very difficult to use and very difficult to maintain. Um, and then, you know, this client server model came in uh, that made the, the clients lighter and more load on the servers. And, uh, and boy, what's the name of the company is escaping me that kind of disrupted the market and uh, with this client server technology. And they immediately, you know, captured sort of the, the, this market that couldn't afford the expensive one. Uh, couldn't afford the IT budgets to run the big expensive systems. And so they kind of undercut the existing CRM, Salesforce automation market. Well, then the internet came along. And so then the first people that had an internet model, and I can't remember the name of the company that first led with an internet CRM, undercut uh, uh, that earlier disruption. And what was amazing during the 90s and 2000s and even up to today is how quickly these disruptions are actually happening. It's in the period of 20 years, you have three or four different huge disruptions that are happening because after, after the internet disruption, then you had uh, SaaS, you had software as a service. And that's where, um, uh, that's where Salesforce.com suddenly came in and completely disrupted the market again. And they, and they were able to say, listen, you don't need your ID department at all anymore because we're going to run this on our servers and we're going to take care of all that. And you don't have to support the desktop anymore because it's just going to run on a browser. And so all you have to do is get the right browser on everybody's desktop and you're good to go. And so, uh, so I think that that's an interesting example. And, and there's, there's a lot of uh, examples like that uh, if you look into the different industries. Um, uh, another good example is online uh, job stuff, right? So hot jobs came out and disrupted uh, classified ads. And, you know, classified ad job listings are, are almost meaningless today, right? And hot jobs and monster disrupted that market. And then you had uh, the ladders come along and the ladders turned hot jobs on its head. So instead of recruiters or inside recruiters, HR departments having to look at thousands of resumes, suddenly they can go, well, actually, we, we, we only want a handful of resumes and we're going to, and it's going to be the, uh, the person seeking the job that actually has to pay. And that's going to give us higher quality candidates. And so, you know, we're going to be able to uh, fulfill our jobs with easier and higher quality candidates and all the rest. Well, it wasn't long after uh, the ladders came along that then you had LinkedIn. And so, oh, well, it's even better to find candidates based upon your network, right? Because that actually emulates how it happens in the real world. So, uh, so these technological improvements, and they actually could they don't have to be just technology. They could be marketing improvements. They could be distribution improvements. They could even be packaging improvements. There's a case study in our book, uh, a company called Method, right? So they decide that they're going to disrupt household cleaning products. I mean, are you kidding me? Household cleaning products? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> how, how are you going to disrupt in that market? And they had this ingenious idea. Well, you know, what do what do uh, housewives and moms and 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 uh, what do they do with the household cleaning products? They store them under the sink. And they go, well, why do we do that? Why don't we put them in this amazing packaging that people want to put them on the counter instead of underneath the counter? And so, uh, so it's important that entrepreneurs think about uh, the type of disruption that they can do. It can be outside the product, right? So where else in your business model can you do something new that's actually going to give you, you know, a head start or, gonna give, or, or, or could even turn an industry on its head? 
What kind of、uh, techniques have you seen for testing this? So、uh, we know that we want to hit designers. What are what are some kind of cost effective ways that we can go in and test whether our assumptions are true in that market before we go full steam? Yeah, so I'm a big advocate that your first thing you should be doing is going and talking to those people, and I don't mean even on the phone. If you can do it in person, that's a big win. So where do you find those people? Well, they already exist. If you've defined your market segment well, people who share the same pain or passion and speak the same language, those people are already congregating somewhere. So use Meetup.com, use Craigslist, use LinkedIn, use social media. Uh, where are their networking meetings going on? Where are their trade shows where they might be hanging out? So try to think about where does that market segment exist.、Uh, you can use online methods and then schedule,、uh, you know, a coffee with them, or or if you have to, a phone call or a Skype call. Get it, you know, face to face. And in those first meetings, what you're really trying to do is explore the problems that these people face, validate that they have the problem that you think that they have. It's not at this point about pitching your solution. So that's a big mistake that that、uh, entrepreneurs make. Is the first thing they do. It's an awkward conversation. They know they have to start talking some way, and it's it's just natural as human beings. We're going to start talking about ourselves, but it's exactly the wrong thing. So why is that? Well, if I go. Say you're going after this designer, and I find this designer, and we schedule a cup of coffee, and I sit down with this designer who doesn't know me, and I say, "Listen, I've got this. I got this great idea, and I wanted to get your feedback on it." Now, who's solving whose problem in that conversation? It's the designer that's solving my problem, right?、Oh. And so, what you really want to do is flip that conversation around and and start talking about what are the issues that face the designer. And you start, you know, you're. It's empathy, right? It's learning as much as you can about the day and the life of this designer and how you might improve that, how you might significantly, even emotionally, impact the life of that designer. That designer maybe is, you know, is a is a mom who's got you know four kids at home and a husband that works full time, and maybe there's something that you do that transforms that woman's life so that she's like, wow, you know, I I just I feel like I'm a better mom because of your product or service. You know, I, it allows me to do my design work more efficiently. I get home and I could do this or that, whatever. Yeah. What is the emotional impact that you can have on somebody's life? And you're not ready to build product, in, in my view, until you understand that.、Um, and if you've already built product, go ahead. If you don't have a bunch of customers, go back to that step one and go see if you can understand these people deeply. The fact of the matter is that in today's entrepreneurship, it's all about building relationships. And that first coffee meeting. With one designer, with one individual, you're 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 hopefully building your first relationship. You're building your first customer. So entrepreneurs all the time ask me, you know, or I ask them, you know, what's the biggest issue that you're facing?、And、they go, I need a thousand customers.、And、I say, how many do you have? And they go zero.、I、say, you don't need a thousand. You need one. <laughs> so be- before you start worrying about trying to scale to a thousand or to ten thousand, you need to find one, and you turn the one into ten, and you turn the ten into a hundred. There aren't these silver bullets out there that suddenly turn your product idea or your features into the must-have product, and there's going to be tens of thousands of people knocking on your door. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I I love that because it's it's a much more digestible goal. 
It is digestible. <laughs> build one relationship. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I mean, people are trying to, you know, they're, they're in the early stages of entrepreneurship. And the first thing that they do, it's, I understand they have a big vision, but you don't want to confuse the first step that you need to take with the size of the vision. The first step you want to make as small as possible because that's what gets the ball rolling. And if you can actually go establish one relationship inside of your target market segment, you're actually on the way. Whereas if you sit in your office and you're trying to think of, well, how do I get a thousand people to hit, you know, to come and view my product on my website? Day in, you know, week in, two weeks in, three weeks in, you still don't have your thousand visitors. You haven't made any progress. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to convince yourself that that big initial vision is necessary to get those first thousand. And you end up prioritizing building out that vision before talking to anybody because you feel like the product's not ready yet. Exactly. Which can get, turn into months, you know, slowing things down by months, which we've been through, and it yep. sucks. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So speaking of relationships, um, you have a new book coming that you're co-authoring on branding. Um, what kind of can we expect um, to – where are you going to take lean branding? Yeah, so we want to change the way people think about branding, just fundamentally. So I, I, I sort of was talking to Jeremiah about this the other day, and it's, it's uh, branding is sort of this last bastion of uh, unaccountable marketing. <laughs> and uh, and we, go, we want to change that. We, we're going to bring it into the accountability side of marketing. We're going to bring the, the lean vision of understanding your customers deeply and running experiments and actually having data that can inform your decision. We're going to bring that into the branding side of the house. And our philosophy is really around the fact that your product drives satisfaction. With your product, there's a, it's a utility that it's providing you're fulfilling a promise and customers don't become passionate about products that mm -hmm. fulfill their promise. That's what you said you're going to do. Why am I going to go tell the whole world that you said that you actually did what you said you were going to do? No, passion is really around the story. It's around the relationship. It's around the aspiration, right? So as a, as a, as a company, uh, I'm building a product that's going to solve a specific problem. It has these features that provide benefits that is a utility to you. It's going to solve a problem that you have. Now, what I want you to do with that product is I want you to become a better designer and you're going to make more money. I want you to be feel like you're a better mom. I want you to love music. Why are you building this? As an entrepreneur, ask the question, what is your why? And this is the why that, that um, speaks to the to the aspiration that you have for a customer that's using your product. And that is what drives passion. And that is your brand, is this relationship that you build around the value that you're providing, this aspiration that you have for your customer. And so this is, uh, you can hypothesize this, you can test it, you can measure it. And the reason why you want to do this is because uh, passion is actually what's going to drive your, uh, your growth. Uh, so when you have passionate people, they're inviting their friends, they're bragging about you, they're showing you off, they're acting as a case study, they're going, you know, public, uh, uh, relations, they're willing to do, you know, PR. Um, and so they're actually putting new customers into the top of your funnel without you spending a dime on marketing. And that's when you know that it's time to, to step on the marketing pedal because you know with every customer that you land, they're putting new leads into the top of the funnel. 
So it really sounds like a, a methodology that starts with the founder and, and for them to implement throughout in, inside of their culture. Yes, exactly. Right on. I don't, I don't think that you can actually build a brand that evokes passion that isn't driven by some fundamental values that the founder or the founding team has. And that, and that fun, those fundamental values are also going to drive uh, the internal culture and how uh, the employees feel about the company. And they need to be themselves empowered to be ambassadors for, for, the, for the company and to provide value to customers whenever they have the opportunity. So, so those values translate into culture and that culture transforms into projecting those values. And pr- the, that projection of values uh, really ends up being the relationship that you build with, with your customers. And that relationship is what drives uh, the ultimate passion beyond the satisfaction uh, with the product. And that passion is what drives, uh, uh, drives your growth. Yeah, well, that sounds incredible. I'm looking forward to, to reading it. And we've seen some of the posts that Jeremiah has been putting out. Um, they've been excellent. We actually had them on the podcast. So um, awesome. we're really looking forward to it. So thank you so much for coming on here, Brent, and, and sharing us. Um, I know we talked a lot about disruption. Um, you have a, there's, you cover such a wide range of topics. Um, where can we find um, more of your writing, and where do we keep up with you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. So uh, I'm on Twitter at Brant Cooper. I'm actually really super easy to find. If you just Google Brant Cooper, B-R-A-N-T Cooper. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I welcome people to connect with me. You know, I'm, obviously I'm on LinkedIn and, and uh, in a Twitter and I blog at marketbynumbers.com. Uh, I have a couple of different websites. LeanEntrepreneur.co is where people can check out the book, and of course, it's available uh, on Amazon and and uh, and Barnes and Noble and all the rest. Uh, and also, I you know I do a, I run a consultancy, uh, MovesTheNeedle.com. Um, in that company, we're focusing on bringing some of these lean startup principles to very large enterprises that are trying to jumpstart their innovation practices. Very cool. Well, we'll include links below um, so everyone can find that. And um, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. I'm a fuck a bitch shit,
Niggas crest to hit it. Play me like a chicken. Thinking I'm pressed to get it. Rather with the killing in the stick up just. Rather count a million while you eat my pussy. Push me to the limit. Get my feelings in. Get me open while I'm